Dan Golding, uh, and I do quite a few different things. I guess my day job is I'm an academic at Swinburne University, where I research and teach media studies, but also mainly, I guess, cinema studies. So film screens of all sorts, including video games and YouTube and all that sort of stuff. I have done quite a lot of video game music myself, including Untitled Goose Game, um, most, most recently and probably most popularly. And I also talk a lot about film music in particular. I do a podcast and a radio show on ABC Classic all about film music. First question, and I'm asking this to everyone I've been interviewing. How do you believe a video game soundtrack can impact a player's emotion? Well, I think a video game soundtrack, I think music for screen media in general is incredibly powerful. So film and TV music and game music, I think all serve not just an additive element. I think a lot of people think of, of music as something extra that's laid on top that adds to it. I like to think of it more like, to use the metaphor, more like multiplication in that the music multiplies the power of whatever is on screen and equally, whatever's on screen multiplies the power of the music as well. It's kind of a two-way relationship that enhances both music and image. And so I think for video games, you know, it's so incredibly powerful. It can tell you about what you're doing, where you are, what characters you're spending time with, what stage of the game you're up to, what kind of things you might need to do even. It can tell you so much and, of course, enhance emotions from fear to fun all along the way yeah you've got experience as you said talking about soundtracks in also film and tv how do you feel that this impact on someone's emotion is different when it comes to film and tv yeah well i think the primary difference is that games are about action they're about doing things you do something to a game by pressing buttons or you know moving a mouse or a joystick or whatever and then the game responds and that is obviously quite different to watching a movie apart from I guess hitting play on a Netflix remote or something like that so you kind of the relationship of, of action between the game and and the player is one that is so key to music in that as a musician you can't just write music for a game that starts here and finishes here that you know in film and tv you know a particular cue for a scene might go for 30 seconds and so you know exactly that's how long you've got to write for and you know that on the 16th second a beat comes in that makes things seem much more scary right that's not really how it works in video games it can work like that especially for cutscene writing and that kind of non-interactive section of the video game but generally it's much more about creating larger moods that aren't necessarily tied to particular beats or moments, or if they are, then it becomes a little bit more complicated and you've got to write for different scenarios and with the knowledge that everybody's going to experience a game in, if not infinitely different ways, then at least a, a, quite a set of different ways that you've really got to account for as a composer. So Practically speaking, it's quite different, but also as a player, I think the knowledge that the music is tied in with what you're doing definitely has an impact as well. Yeah, no, because that's something that I thought about as well. It is quite different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Your work on Untitled Goose Game featured adapted versions of classical music pieces. Mm. From idea to execution, what was the creative process like behind making these tracks? 
Making the music for Untitled Goose Game was a really interesting process. It began because the game devs wanted a particular piece of classical music by Debussy, who uh, this piece of music is written just for piano. It's not for orchestra or anything like that. They wanted that to play on the radio, the in-game radio that the goose picks up in the game's trailer. And so could I create a version of that that would work in the trailer? And so I did that. And then what happened was the trailer was cut so well, the music worked so well with how the game was presented there that a lot of people watching the trailer on YouTube and and Twitter and whatever were all like, ah, it's so amazing that the music works so well with the game. I can't wait for this kind of dynamic music process to, to, to play out. And so we all sort of got together and were like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess we now have to figure out how this works. Because, you know, we, we had a little bit of experience with creating dynamic music in the previous game that we'd worked on together, Push Me, Pull You, but that was just menu music, really, and having different types of music for different menu screens that you were on. So obviously this was a lot more complicated. So from then on, we went through a whole bunch of different iterations as to how the music would work. And the idea, the, the hope was that eventually... It would be like you were watching an old silent movie and there was a pianist in the corner who was watching the screen and kind of commenting on the action, you know. So if something funny happened, they would maybe play a bit louder and a bit more aggressive. Or if you were creeping, it would be a little bit more soft. Or if you were running around uh, without anybody near you at all, they would just not be playing. And so trying to figure out how to take these 100-year-old pieces of classical music and turn them into a reactive dynamic score that was like a silent pianist was actually part of the game. Involved a lot of cutting up the music into half a second long little snippets just for the first piece of music that's in the game. There's something like 370, I think, little snippets of that one piece of music, which is about two and a half minutes long otherwise. And there's two different performances of it as well. One that's quite high energy, one that's quite low energy. And so then the game actively chooses, depending on what you're doing, which of those little snippets to play in order. So it achieves that effect, but it took a long time to get there. And it was so, you know, I was so happy when reviews started coming in for the game and, You know, I think the New York Times was like, it's like a Charlie Chaplin movie. And I was like, (laughs) that's exactly what we're going for. So, you know, uh, it's it's such a rare pleasure to see a game or at least an element of a game received in the way that you were hoping it would be. So that was that was great. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I never would have thought that it was like a decision made from the reaction to the trailer. Creating the dynamic tracks, did Mm. that bring up any challenges in the composition process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I think in a way it was made easier because we were working with largely pre-existing music. I was doing arrangements of them to work the different moods, but it's not like I had to come up with the music and then work it into the system or anything like that or write music to specifically be made into this system. So I think in a, in a way adapting pre-existing music and public domain music, I think was another really interesting wrinkle to all of this because it's not often that public domain older compositions are in video games. 
but I think that was a real asset. And I think it was a real asset as well that we knew what the ultimate effect we wanted to be like. So we knew what we were aiming for. We weren't just exploring, hey, what can we do with this system? Or what does this technology allow us to do? It was like, no, we want this. How do we do it? <laughs> and so I think those two things made it a lot easier than it might have been otherwise. That's not to say it was easy. <laughs> Getting a game to incorporate all those fast-paced changes and especially telling a game when to move on to the next. We call them stems. So those half second or so, I think, you know, one of the longest ones is about two seconds. But getting that to move on to the next one while the audio tail, so the sustain of the piano plays out. So while you might have like a four second audio file, only two seconds of that is what needs to be played without anything over the top of it. And the other two seconds is just the sustain. So it doesn't sound like a bunch of um, files are being jankily played and cut yeah. off. So getting the whole system to have honestly spreadsheets and spreadsheets of timing data <laughs> so that it would know, okay, you've got this. And then at this point, halfway through, then the next piece plays, then the next piece plays. That was a complicated system. And I owe a lot to Nico Disseldorp, who works at House House, who is the primary sort of programmer on this music system, who I worked with um, to, to make sure that it all worked seamlessly. But it was a really, really interesting process and sort of a lot of trial and error. Um, but I think it was helped massively by knowing what we wanted. Hmm. Well, I think you guys did a really good job. So <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I'm <laughs> really glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go into your compositions with the intention of impacting the player in an emotional way? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, as I said, you know, the, the hope was to have it feel like there was a, a pianist watching what you were doing and commenting. So I think in terms of how the player should feel, one of the biggest impacts was thinking about almost humor, right? Which I think is such a hard thing to do with music. Like it's, it's actually very easy to do suspense or to do shock, surprise or horror or stuff like that, right? We know how that works with video games, but comedy I think is a lot more abstract, especially because what is funny to some person is not gonna be funny to another person. And so, you know, we didn't really want to overdo it. We didn't want to kind of ram the comedy down anybody's throat, which, I, you know, I think, again, is helped by the type of music that we went for in the end. I've often thought that had I been left up to my own devices without the suggestion of using the Debussy piano pieces, I might have gone for something a little bit too literal. I might have done like lots of double reed instruments, oboes, bassoons, basically instruments that sound like honks already, right? <laughs> and so I think that had we done that, which to me, I still think would have been fun, but it would have been comedy music, right? It would have been music that is obviously meant to kind of underscore the, the comedic elements. Whereas this, I think it underscores the kind of moment-to-moment -moment drama of the game, if that makes sense. And I've seen a lot of clips. One of my favorite things was when the game came out, a lot of people posted like little, little clips, like 20 seconds of them doing something in the game. 
And my favorite thing would be when the music just so clearly told that narrative along with what the player was doing, you know, of course, which is something that we can't predict. We can't force that to happen. We can just set up the systems and, you know, hope that it works. And so seeing like a little narrative of, you know, the goose tormenting the the poor child in the second area (laughs) and like, you know, running away with the toy plane and hiding and then coming out and then hiding and hearing the music kind of underscore the dramatic moments rather than the comedic moments, I think kind of paradoxically makes it that much more funny (laughs) because the music is kind of not in on the joke in the same way. And this is something that I've thought of a lot with Frog Detective, which is another game series that I've done music for, which is also, I suppose, a a comedy series. It's a a very funny, very well-written series. But I've often thought that the music for that has to be more detective than Frog Detective, if that makes sense, in that it can't be nudging the player and saying, hey, do you get it? Do you get it? This is a joke. This This is really funny. You know, it has to kind of sit there and help fulfill the rest of the elements of the game so that the humor can be funny to the largest amount of people. So working through that is definitely the key way that we thought that Goose Game, the music would impact people's emotions, but in a comedic way. Yeah. It really does make the player the star of the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. That it is all about the player in the moment and what they're doing and, Especially with the music systems, I think, you know, the player is empowered to feel responsible for their own actions, which is is just great. And it makes things doubly funny because it feels like the world is reacting to you. (laughs) There's a very interesting article I found by you called Writing Video Games, Popular and Critical Video Game Writing Over Time. Mm. And my question is, in relation to that article, how do you think video games and academia are becoming more interrelated? You know, video games have one of their origin stories in academia that, you know, some of the earliest video games in America were created in university labs. Something like Computer Space, which was created by the MIT Tech Model Railroad Club, a very, very cool club, as I'm sure the name (laughs) implies, went on to influence Space War and then later Pong. So really, you know, the, the kind of birth of the American video games industry has a lot to do with kind of university students and academics kind of messing around with these new computer devices and seeing what they could do with them. So since then, academia and video games have been really intertwined, even if, you know, we don't necessarily talk about it a lot. You know, people who have made some of the most successful video games have have been people who've been studying at university and not always in video game degrees, but in cinema degrees, in literature, fine arts as well. I mean, I should say the people who made Goose Game mostly did arts degrees, like fine arts degrees, rather than games degrees, but kind of understanding the relationship between ideas and video game making as well. But, you know, games have been an area of research for academia since at least the 1990s as well. But that's really sort of grown into its own field. And today, you know, you'll find game studies departments in in many universities around the world. So, yeah, but uh, what I was getting 
getting at with that article is that at the same time, there's a lot of knowledge about games that comes from outside universities. Universities may be, you know, such a key part of things, but they're not the the be all and end all. And in fact, a lot of the time, there are just interesting kind of, I won't say amateurs, but people outside of the academy who are writing about games in a sort of scholarly academic way while not actually being tied to a university. And so I think it's super important to realize that a lot of the ideas and the, the kind of breakthrough ideas that we have about video games come from all sorts of places. But, you know, for, for better and sometimes worse, it's academia that has the kind of institutional support. So, for example, there are some great writing about video games from 10 years ago on blogs, but a lot of that's been lost because, you know, the blog system goes down, the platform dies, and that writing then might exist only on like the Wayback Machine or on somebody's hard drive. And so that's a real pity, whereas I suppose video game academia, um, you know, all the journals are all still available in libraries and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I do see that as kind of a, an issue. So I, I, I hope that, you know, there's a growing sense that we can get all these ideas from a lot of different interesting places and bring in more interesting and, and a diverse range of sources for those ideas too yeah you've written that and a lot of other academic articles relating to video games yep. do you have maybe a favorite one or an important topic that you've <laughs> wrote about in one that you want to share yeah i mean yeah i've been writing about video i mean uh, i did my phd thesis on video games as through a screen studies lens so understanding how video games relate to older media forms and I mean I'm still obviously very fond of that it was many years of my life so I hope I should still kind of have an appreciation for it I think I really enjoyed writing about that and about how video games relate to older media forms in terms of painting and landscape painting and how cities and environments are represented in visual art as opposed to how they're represented in video games even things like the design of particular kinds of spaces so I did a lot of work about you know the kind of architectural design of massive basilicas in Rome and the Vatican and those kind of huge buildings that you walk through and they give you a very particular kind of experience and how in a way that's not so different to some of the you know spaces in video games which are designed to give you a kind of experience while moving through them obviously in an entirely different setting and obviously very frequently with a very different intended outcome but nonetheless the kind of logic that underpins both is shared or at least has a shared history i still still think that that's a really really interesting topic and points out how video games are not just the product of the computing age but rather a kind of culture or a cultural object that is underpinned by hundreds of years of human history and kind of endeavors across different art forms. I think, you know, that's one of the most interesting things that we can say about video games is rather than just pretend like they appeared from nowhere in the 1960s and we've been inventing them ever since that actually they, there's this shared history. Yeah. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I'd agree. That is actually very interesting. So is there anything else that you'd like to share about your work as a composer and an academic? The best thing that I can say about being an academic and being somebody who works on video game music is that the academic side allows me the space to think about video game music and how it 
doesn't have to be done in a in a particular way. I think the one thing that I wish could be better with video game music is that I think a lot of people come into composing for games and feel like they have to sort of tick all the boxes. They they have to create a showreel that has like the action game that kind of sounds like Hans Zimmer or, you know, that, that kind of particular sound that we've heard quite a lot of in video game music. And I think that I'm quite lucky that I don't have to earn a living through my video game music. So I do have the freedom to go, well, what if we didn't do it that way? What if instead we did something completely different or created an entirely different sound. I mean, my first video game soundtrack, Push Me Pull You, I still think sounds unlike a lot of other video games just because it's exclusively played with real instruments, ones that you can see behind me, but they're all like, I intentionally played a lot of it badly, (laughs) which came very reluctantly to me because you know, as a musician, you want everything to sound perfect. You want it to sound polished and really nicely done. But the game really suited a feeling of kind of roughness and a kind of like childlike joy in just playing, you know? So I wanted the music to sound like it was a kind of primary school band that were having a hell of a lot of fun but that didn't mean that they necessarily knew how to play their instruments all that well. And to get that kind of joy through that, where it's, it's not so much about polish. It's, it's kind of about just, you know, the, the enjoyment of, of music itself and moving and doing things and, and hearing a sound when you blow into the saxophone or something like that, you know? And so, you know, I, but I think, you know, a lot of the time, if you, if you'd gone to, you know, the, the kind of stereotypical way of, of creating music for that game, it definitely wouldn't have ended up that way. So it just comes from the fact that I, I guess, have that luxury of kind of working in parallel to video games, the video game music industry. So I, I get to kind of explore those weird, weird ends that might be a dead end for other composers. I don't know if that answers your question. Or not. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I think it does. Of all the composers that I've interviewed for this, you have the unique aspect of being an academic as well. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it also allows me to to look at the the history of the medium and and think about you know where it's come from and where it's gone and also how it relates to other media forms. I mean, I think you know that's clear as well with the Goose Game music as well. Thinking of it as kind of silent film influenced. I mean, I do a lot of research about silent cinema, so being able to think about those questions in detail and look at academic research probably just yeah changes things up a, a little bit as well. Hmm. Is there anything that you're working on? I know NDAs are a thing, (laughs) understandable, but if you can, is there anything you'd like to promote that you're working on? Um, The only, so, I mean, yeah, there's a few things that I'm working on that I'm excited about that I can't talk about, but the things that I can talk about, actually, there's probably a really interesting end to this this conversation. Um, We're making uh, a vinyl for the Goose Game soundtrack and it's, a very unusual vinyl and this comes I think in part from thinking through again what can we do with this to make it you know the best possible soundtrack release that it can be so with a regular vinyl it's got a single groove that goes round and round and round this is a double grooved so it's got two parallel grooves that go around next to each other because as I mentioned earlier the game has got two different performances it's got a high energy performance and a low energy performance based on what you're doing in the game as the goose well this vinyl 
has got that high energy performance and low energy performance on different grooves and they're right next to each other. So unless you've got incredible eyesight, <laughs> you'll never know when you put down the needle, which version it's going to play. And that is something that is obviously not computer randomized. It's purely randomized through the actual physical material of the vinyl. And I just think that is so exciting and I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to kind of do that and make it you know the best possible release that it can be it's something I didn't even really know that finals could do we've been working with a great engineer who's been incredibly generous about how to cut the vinyl uh, how to press it in the best way possible so the finished product will be most like the game so that's coming out really soon um, I think even pre-orders are up now so I'm really really excited for people to to have fun with it yeah <laughs> wow that's really clever and creative it'll be fun Thank you so much for doing this. You've been a really great interviewer. I'm glad, glad to help. <laughs>